uh, let's get into God's word. Turn with me to Galatians, the book of Galatians. Incredible book. I love this book. Absolutely love it. Uh, as we look at what Paul is talking about in regards to the gospel and the impact of our, on our lives. Uh, he starts out in chapter 1 and he talks about what the gospel is. In verse 4 he says, who gave himself, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Jesus Christ gave, so it was free, himself. He was the sacrifice. He's the one that paid for it all. He gave himself. It's not enough to just say, I believe in God or I believe in some higher power. It's belief in Christ. That's the key. And he gave himself for, which means in our place. He gave himself for us. And so as we look at the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose from the grave and that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, it changes our eternity. It also changes our now. And that's what he begins to talk about in chapter 3. That it, How does it change us now? And what he looks at is a before and after. Here's how we were before. Here's how we are after. And the interesting thing about it is, he says, we tend to fall back into the before. We tend to try to live our lives as we did before. And we think of the gospel as simply something that gets us in. That gets us into a relationship with God. That gets us into heaven. And we don't realize, no, it's intended for my whole Christian life. It's not something that I receive Jesus and then I put that on the shelf or I check that box, okay, done there. And now I try to just become a good person. Being a good person is not what Christianity is all about. Being a person of faith, a person who believes God, that's what it's all about. And we miss the point if we fall back into law. And so I've got an illustration here this morning. Uh, I've got... This. Does anybody know what this is? Yeah, typewriter. Incredible. I, it's been a long time since I typed on this thing, and the carriage doesn't work, so it just types the same letters in the same places. Uh, and so I have a whole bunch of uh, letters right there in one spot. It's supposed to kind of move along, right? And, and, and now, I wouldn't know as much about this as my wife does because she typed a lot of my papers after we got married. I not only got a wife, I got a typist whenever I got married, and she typed my thesis. I don't know how many times she typed that master's thesis, because the interesting thing about this typewriter, when you type a page, and then you go, oh, I need to add a sentence, and it bumps the whole, it, it, onto the next page, and then that bumps to the next, you know, it doesn't do that automatically on this thing. You have to go through and type every page after that point. And so you look at this and, and we think this is the way that when, when this thing, uh, uh, we use this throughout college, used it in seminary, and then this thing came along. And now they're so small. You got not only a computer, you got iPads, right? Very small, has the same QWERTY keyboard that you have on this thing. And so I had a buddy of mine who said, uh, oh yeah, uh, in seminary, he had a computer, First generation computer says, oh, I was just a glorified typewriter. That was his comment. A glorified typewriter. Oh, really? So let's talk about the differences between these two. This one has one font, and it's all the way across here. It's, it's welded or soldered onto these keys. It's probably Pica type. And you had one type, one font. With this thing, I can have any font that I want. Any one that I can find, I can have script, I can have uh, Times New Roman, I can have uh, any number of different uh, types of type. 
color of type. I don't know if you can see it, but there's a ribbon right here. And this ribbon has black and red. Those were your choices. You hit one key, you had red. Another key, you had black. It, it, it moved it up and down. With this thing, I can make any color that I want. With, with this deal right here, it, it is the only power that, ha, that there is is my fingers moving, right? That's the only power. This thing has an internal power. It has power within it, and you can plug it in and recharge the baby. And, and here you've got this thing that, that will connect to the Internet. This thing won't connect to the Internet. And I, and I was thinking, who, who would ever want you to have one of these? You can get on the Internet. You can do research. You can, uh, it has spell check. <laughs> you know what spell check for this thing was? A dictionary. You had that sitting next to you. And you didn't have just a delete key where you could kind of go backwards and kind of get rid of stuff. You had this little bottle sitting there, white out. And you would paint over the letters and blow on it. And then you would type over it again. So you had this blob in the middle of your paper. You know, and if you had too many of those blobs, you thought, maybe I should retype it. Nah. And so you turn in this paper with these little blotches of white. And I, and I look at that and I think, who... And I need to have a show of hands. How many of you still use this? Anybody? Nobody. How many of you would give up this and go back to this? Some of you would. Oh, I see those hands. Frustrated technology people. Yeah, I, I, I feel your pain. Um, but you look at that and you think, but in the Christian life, if you were to say that the typewriter is law and the computer is grace, and you started to compare the two, living by law, it's all based on me, my energy. I'm going to try to be better. I will do my best. And then you have keys that stick. And you realize, I can only do so much, and I, I can't, there's things I can't do with this thing. And then you, you think of your spiritual life, and you think, when a person receives Christ, and we'll see this in the passage, we're given the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, every believer, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you have at that moment the Spirit of God. We'll see that in the passage. You see it also in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. When it says that you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you're sealed with a Spirit who's given as a down payment, a deposit. At that moment that you receive Christ, you have the Spirit of God. And so you have power within. And it's no longer me trying to change the outside. It's an internal change. It's my heart being changed. It's my heart being transformed. And so I, I realize that so many times people in their spiritual lives go back to this. What's the spiritual life look like according to law? It's, S, it's a little s on spiritual it's a little S on spirit. It's my spirit. It's only what I can accomplish, only what I can do. I, I try harder. I want to be a better Christian. I want to please God or whatever it is that you think of. And what is grace? It's, forgive, it's spiritual life with a large capital S at the beginning. The Holy Spirit residing within. Paul calls us the temple of the Spirit. 
He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, this, he says, or do you not know that you're a temple of the Spirit of God? You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus died on the cross, the Spirit of God went from the temple on Mount Moriah to the human heart. We became the temple of the Spirit of God. And so you look at that and you go, wow, with that, comes everything I need for life and godliness. Do I have everything with the law that I need for life and godliness? No. What do I have with the law? I have exposure to sin that exposes my sin and condemnation. What do I have with grace? I have forgiveness. Something the law could not do. In fact, if we think about my speed limit illustration last week and you have this sign on the on a street that says 40 miles an hour and you see like that 40 mile an hour sign on on uh say the uh access road to 287 and the minute you see that 40 mile an hour sign what are you thinking well i won't get a ticket unless i'm doing more than 45 and so in your mind 45 is what the speed limit really is And so you've already pushed the envelope. And then what are you doing when you're driving down the access road? You're looking for that guy that sits at Spring Creek. (laughs) Yeah, you know the guy. He's on the motorcycle, right? And he's sitting there waiting to catch you. And you go, oh, no, I'm, I'm doing too much. And so then you go down to 45, right? And so our concern is, is, is that we will get caught or we'll get stopped or we'll get a ticket. And then when we get, if we do get stopped and we're pulled over, and all our friends are driving by doing this number, <laughs> laughing at us. And, 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 the, and the police officer has an op- opportunity to either show mercy or not. All of a sudden, it's out of our hands, isn't it? That's what happens with law. It's out of my hands. I no longer have any control. I had control if I went the speed limit. But once I break the speed limit and I'm pulled over, then I'm looking for mercy or I'm negotiating. And I really wasn't going that fast, officer. Uh, I was in a hurry. Uh, I, need, I was going to a prayer meeting. Uh, oops, I mean a, a Bible study or something spiritual. And so we find ourselves negotiating and he still writes us a ticket or he writes us a warning and we've been shown mercy. Or we go to the judge and, and, and he either, uh, what's his purpose? It's to bring judgment on us for that ticket. And so we find ourselves living by law and we live in fear of the law and our whole goal is just to not get caught. Versus being transformed by the Spirit of God, and then I naturally do the things that the law required. And yet I'm transformed and it happens from the inside. You see, I think that we live our Christian lives as typewriter Christian lives and not computer Christian lives. We live by law and not grace. And the, and the way that I can tell it like that, I can see it in a person's life instantly by how they respond to other people. And you can too. Because if I were to go up to you and say, here's what you're supposed to be doing in the Christian life and you're not doing it. What have I just done? I'm living law. And what am I doing? I'm going to pull my friendship from you or I'm going to not talk to you nicely anymore. I'm going to be mean to you or I'm going to be rough with you or I'm going to tell you here's what happens and, and we live our lives according to law. Or I see the same situation and I think something must be going on in your life and I come alongside and I say, I noticed this in your life and tell me about it. Talk to me about it. How can I help? And how can I get involved with you? And, and how can I help you? And, and all of a sudden it's forgiveness and, and love and compassion versus judgment and condemnation. The minute you start speaking in that language, you know you're speaking law. 
And so we need to, when we wrestle with those issues, we need to ask ourselves, where am I going with this? Where Am I living my spiritual life according to the law or am I living according to grace? And that's Paul's point here in chapter 3. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, he's getting on to him. He asked him six questions because he's, and they're rhetorical questions. He, you know what the answer is the minute he asks the question. And he starts off and says, you foolish Galatians. That's how you know he's kind of rebuking them. You know, he's not, it's pretty obvious here, right? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's the first question. Are you out of your mind? Have you been sucked in? I mean, that's what he's basically saying. Have you been taken captive by something else that's, that's been really attractive and you want to live by it? And in their case, it was the Judaizers coming in and telling them they need to be circumcised and they need to, to follow the law in order to be saved. He says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, the crucified Christ. So he's, he's camping on the gospel. The gospel is not something you leave behind after you first you pray the prayer. It's something you live out in your whole life, your whole Christian life. And in fact, we know that because of what he said uh, just a few verses before. And you have to cross that chapter line. And sometimes we struggle with that going back far enough to see what is he talking about here. In verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice that language, gave himself. That was what he said in chapter one, verse four, who gave himself for our sins. He's focused and he's camped on the gospel. And he's saying the gospel is not something you leave behind. It's not something that you do just for fire insurance. This is something the way you're supposed to live your life. It's how you're supposed to continue on. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? You heard the gospel and you responded, that's when you received the Holy Spirit. Did you have the Holy Spirit under the law? No. You wouldn't even need the Spirit. You don't need faith because it's all on you. You're doing it. And falling miserably short, by the way. That's what we do when we try to do it on our own, when it's on our own merit. We can't achieve perfection. We can't achieve his perfect righteousness on our own, by our own strength, by what we do. And he talks about this idea of receiving the Spirit. It's not something I go out and grab the Spirit. It's something I receive that God gives to me. And in fact, you see it later in, the, in verse 5. Does God give you his Spirit? It's something God gives us. It's something that we receive. And we get it at the moment that we believe. He says, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing? And so you see clearly he's making that connection. At the moment you believe, you receive the Spirit. He says, are you so foolish after beginning with the spirit, verse three, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And that's his point. You've got the spirit of God. You have everything that you need for life and godliness. You have this. He says, why are you going back to human effort? Why do you think that is the way? And, and if you ask yourself the question, you have to ask yourself, why, why do we think that? It's because we run every relationship by law, by human effort, by merit. You do something for me, I do something for you. You hurt me, I hurt you. We live by law. We, oh, you hurt me? I'm going to bring judgment on you, and you won't do that again. Why don't I show grace? Why don't I show forgiveness? Because I live by law, and so do you. 
And it's natural to us. We, it, our heart has to be transformed by his spirit in order to have forgiveness. I have to experience his forgiveness in order to give forgiveness. I don't even know what forgiveness looks like otherwise. And so when we look at this passage, we realize that's what he's talking about. It's not by human effort. In other words, you started by faith, continue by faith. Notice how many times he uses the word faith in, this, in just this short section of this third chapter. He says in verse 2, believing what you heard. In verse uh, 5, because you believe what you've heard again. Verse 6, he believed God. Verse 7, understand then that those who believe. Uh, in verse 8, the Gentiles by faith, justify the Gentiles by faith. In verse 9, those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And you've got faith mentioned so many times. When you have that many times a word mentioned in that shortest space, you know that's important. Pay attention. And notice that he said in chapter 2, right going into this, I live by faith. He intends us to live by faith. A spiritual life is one lived by faith. The non-spiritual life is one that we don't live by faith. We just, we just kind of have a religious life. We, we have a life that may be exemplary. Maybe it's a life that people look at and go, wow, that's a really good person. But they won't say spiritual person because we don't have the Spirit of God working in us. When the Spirit of God shows up, we know it. We can see him working. We can see his hand at work. We can see the result that, that he brings about. And when he does it, it's amazing and incredible. He goes on in verse 4 and says, have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe? It's because we believe. I mean, these rhetorical questions, it's because we believe. It's because we believe. We get the spirit of God because we believe. We get justification being declared not guilty because we believe. And he says, let me give you an illustration now. He's talking to an audience who knew who Abraham would be. And in fact, they would say, well, look at Abraham. Uh, and, and, And he says, okay, let's look at Abraham. When was Abraham? He was before Moses, so he was before the law. So he's given an illustration. Here's a guy before the law. Grace comes before the law. It came first. And in fact, it came before Abraham was circumcised even because we see that was in chapter 15. It says, he believed God, verse 6, and it was credited to him as righteousness. No, it's not, notice it's not active, that he, that he earned righteousness. It says it was credited to him. That's a passive. That means it was happened to him. It was something God did for him. He says in verse 7, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. And so he's saying, that's who the children of Abraham are. Those who believe and have the faith that he had. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And now he's getting into some of the core of the Abrahamic covenant. The core of the Abrahamic covenant wasn't just a Jewish covenant. It was a covenant that included everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. And here's how I know. He quotes Genesis 15 when he says, uh, or 12, he says, all nations. In fact, he says, go back to... uh, Beginning of verse 8, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. All nations will be blessed through you. The whole world will be blessed through you. The purpose of choosing this one nation out of all of the nations is to bless the whole world, to, to bless every nation. 
And so then he goes again in verse 9 and says, So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In verse 10, he goes back to this idea of law. He's, he's, he wants us to understand what happens with the law comes curse, a curse. And it's grace that releases us from that curse. And that's why he goes on in verse 10 and says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You have to do everything in order not to be a lawbreaker. If you break one law, small or large, you're a lawbreaker. And when you have a perfect system, God's system, perfect holiness, God's system, and you break one thing, you're not holy in one thing. You hate someone else. Oops. You have lust in your heart for someone else. Oops. You covet somebody else's stuff. Oops. Have I hit most everybody at this point? I don't have to go any further. We all fall short. We all come under the curse of the law. We all come under the penalty the law requires, which is death. That's why he says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. I don't want law. I want a life of forgiveness and grace. And so he says, clearly no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous will live by, see that word again? Faith. We live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. In other words, you you don't need faith in order to live the law. You, You just do the things that the law requires, and so you begin to live that way. And he goes on and says, Christ redeemed us. The word redemption, purchased out of the slave market of sin. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Jesus hung on a tree. He hung in our place. He was crucified for us. You notice how many Old Testament passages he's going to and pointing to Jesus, pointing to the idea of faith. It was an idea that was in the Old Testament. It's an idea that's in the New Testament. Jesus is the the answer. He's the one who redeems us. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And so we got to ask ourselves, how is my Christian life being lived? Do I, along with Paul, live by faith? Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. And the life I live, I live by faith. Or is the life I live, I live by judgment and law and trying harder and trying to be good and trying to do my best. You see, that comes up woefully short when it comes to justification. I'm not declared not guilty by living a typewriter Christianity. I'm forgiven by living a computer Christianity that's endued with power from within. And so... 
when I look at my Christian life, I have to ask myself, which way am I living? And, and, and throughout the day, throughout the week, when you hear yourself saying things, stop and ask, is that, is that, is that the law speaking? Or is that grace speaking? Is that forgiveness speaking? When you get mad at a friend, when you get mad at a spouse, when you get mad at somebody in your family, Thanksgiving coming up, right? You know, you're around family and you don't have to like them, but you do have to love them. Because scripture tells us to love one another and even to love our enemies. Not saying, but saying. You know, we, we, we all go, go home to family, and, and what, is that, what, what is my life going to be like? No matter how they treat me, am I going to live law or grace? And you say, well, they made me do it. No, they didn't make you do anything. They forced me into this position. No, you chose it. Because we can always choose to live by grace. We can always choose to show mercy. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are we living this life? Am I living by faith? And here's why I think this is so important. We look at our country and we think about all these different things about bad things about our country. All these things where we think, man, this is not going well or that's not going well or we need this in our country or we need that in our country and we need these changes. What's speaking there? And do I, do I believe that God can make those changes. And we think, oh, well, we just need more laws. We need more laws in this area. We need more laws in that area. So we need more condemnation and judgment? Or do we need more transformed lives? You see, it's a transformed life that will change our culture. And so we have to go back and ask ourselves this question. Is the reason our country where it is is because the church is not getting out and sharing its faith? Because if we truly believe that the gospel transforms lives and we truly believe that somebody can be different because of it, then we need to go out and begin to share our faith and see those transformed lives around us. And as those begin to spread, it's going to change our culture and it'll change the people around us and it'll change our neighborhoods and it'll change our, our city and our state and our nation. And so we got to go back and ask ourselves, what do we really believe? Do we believe the gospel? Do we believe that the gospel is by faith or do we believe that we've just got to work harder at changing our culture? But I can tell you what, we begin to live by faith, we're going to become, begin to take the steps of faith. When uh, we plan our Ecuador trip every year, it's a faith journey. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Overall, for everyone that's going, I got to, we got to raise $33,000. That seems like a big sum for, for us going. And, 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 and we got to raise money for these two projects as a part of that. And so every year when I plan the trip, I think, Lord, I don't know how the money's going to come in, but I'm planning the trip. And then I began to watch God work. This year we had this special opportunity of having uh, uh, an estate sale of somebody that didn't even, we didn't even know, that doesn't, isn't part of Mansfield Bible Church. And, and the, the daughter of this man who died, she decided we're going to use the whole money from the estate sale to go to the Ecuador trip. He loved missions. Wow. We just got to see God's hand at work. And then God begins to supply and, and we get, begin to watch and, 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 and money begins to come in. And so you're, you're excited about it. Then you, then you find out, you know, I got a text this week and said, oh, by the way, the, the pastor who has the 11 kids who were going to build their house, well, the money already came in. You're going to have to do a different project. Great. 
That's what missions is, is all about. That's what ministry is all about. You just make the adjustments and you move and you, and you go on. So what are we going to do? We're going to do a church. We're going to build a church. And you look at some of these communities, they have no public buildings whatsoever. They have just a few little small homes uh, dotted over the landscape, farmers and, and that kind of thing. And we'll build this church. We'll be a beacon in that community. You think, wow, what an opportunity. And so we, we move forward and, and, and we don't get frustrated. We step forward and we watch the opportunity and say, okay, God, you took care of that. Thank you for taking care of something that we cared about. That pastor with the 11 kids, now we have the opportunity to do more. And we see his hand at work. We have somebody in our church family who's getting involved with uh, an organization that's dealing with human trafficking. The person, I went on their website this week and, and looked at that. And, and the person who started this ministry was a student at Dallas Seminary. And when she graduated, she said, man, we need to do something about human trafficking. And God had placed that on her heart to do. And she started this ministry. And one of the things that they did was they want to find kids that are lost, kids that, are, that, are, that have been taken. And you have a runaway kid at 13, and within 24 hours, they were probably already taken and, and uh, started in the process of human trafficking. And you have place, uh, uh, big events, concerts, uh, sporting events. Uh, when the Super Bowl was here, uh, God answered a lot of prayers because when that ice storm came, it shut down a lot of the human trafficking things that were going on. And so you think, oh, yeah, we didn't like all this, the storm there. Yeah, but God was answering our prayers. And so we saw God's hand at work. We see God's hand through this ministry. One of the things that, that people do is they, they get, they can get on, you can get involved with this organization by getting online and looking for those kids who are lost, those kids who have run away, those kids who may be involved in this, this horrible situation in their life, and they go through social media and they do research. They also have groups of four who will, who will go and, and uh, 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 they'll go in as a team. And one is the person who stays in the car and prays. And the, the second person is a person who kind of is the lookout. And, and then you have two other people that, that, uh, that go and, and uh, uh, they, uh, they all go together. But they, they, go, they get out of the car and they go knock on doors and they're looking for these runaways. And the way that they can figure some of that out is they see this cheap motel. And, and at this cheap motel, there's a $90,000 Jaguar, and they know something isn't right. What's wrong with this picture? And so they take a picture of the license plate number, and they send it to someone who's doing research, and they send it to detectives, and then they begin to follow it up. No vigilante stuff. But they do have times where they have the, the manager of that hotel who's trying to run them off. And you go, hmm, I bet they're getting pay, pay off. And snap, take their picture, see what's going on there. And they're getting involved. What is that? Stepping out in faith. Trust in the Lord. It's scary stuff. It's exciting stuff. When you begin to see what God can do and how God can use you and how God can make a difference through you as you step out in faith, how can you do that at your, in your environment? You may not get involved in human trafficking or maybe you don't get involved in something else. We have uh, uh, a lady in our, our church this week and, and next week uh, who's the, uh, the uh, Jared's uh, sister-in-law, uh, uh, sister of Laura, uh, her name's Kayla. She's, she's getting involved with uh, Syrian refugees in Syria. If you've ever been to Israel and you've gone to the Golan Heights Overlook, uh, you see a, a town that the UN was a part of. Uh, they pulled out called Kunetra, and then there's some other cities there, and, and they're involved there. And they're, they're doing medical mission with, with some of those folks and leading people to Christ and starting churches. I live by faith. 
Can you live by faith? Can you from Mansfield, Texas live by faith? Yes, we can. We have so many opportunities all around us. We can participate in some of those things. We can give to some of those things. We can begin to live by faith by reaching our neighbor uh, and, and praying for boldness that, that God would use us in our neighborhood and reach some of our neighbors for Christ. We have so many opportunities all around us to simply live by faith and then trust what God's going to do. And when we do that, we see God's hand at work. And why is that? Because his spirit is working and not just ours. We're not just trying to pull off something and do something on our own because it's going to fall way short. When the spirit of God grabs hold of something, he makes it special. And so as we continue on in the book of Galatians, we're going to see he's going to talk about how do we do that? How do we allow the Spirit of God to work in us and through us and change the world around us? And so we're, we're going to look at that some more. But I, the thing that I want us to, to realize is what's our part in the deal? I live by faith. Just like I started by faith, I continue by faith. And as I do, I watch God work. Father, we come before you today and we thank you that you're working in so many ways that we cannot even imagine. And Lord, I pray that we would not just live a typewriter Christianity, but we live a computer Christianity where the power is not just power that comes from us, but from your spirit. That the focus is not just man's achievement, woman's achievement, but the spirit of God's achievement. I pray that we wouldn't live a spiritual life that has the little small S on the front, but the one that has your Holy Spirit guiding and leading us. I pray that we would live for you. The life I now live, I live by faith because I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Father, help us to live the I no longer live, that I no longer try to achieve, I no longer try to make it all happen, that I just trust you and I step out for you, that we do that as a body of believers, Father. I know that you transformed the world with 12 apostles, one who went away, 11 that transformed and turned the world upside down. Father, we're more than that. We have the Spirit of God residing in us. Use us. Send us. Transform our hearts. Help us not to live any longer by the law, but by grace. Father, I pray for those who may not have taken that very first step of faith to receive Jesus. And they don't have the Spirit of God in them right now. Lord, I pray that they would take that step that your spirit would begin to transform their lives. And Lord, I pray for us who have taken that step. Help us not to leave faith behind. Help us not to leave the gospel behind. Help us to live by faith. Give us boldness and courage. Father, it scares us to think about it. And yet it excites us at the same time to live for you. Simply that, to live by faith and then to watch you work. We can't wait to see what you're going to do, Lord. And so we abandon and ask you to abandon, uh, 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 cause our hearts to be abandoned to you. 
I know it's something I can't just abandon my heart to you. But you can cause that to be. Lord, we come before you right now. And and I just ask each person just silently talk to God about that. What are you hanging on to? What are you unwilling to let go of? Give it to him. Ask him to change your heart. Do you have a critical spirit towards someone? Talk to him about that right now. Forgive them. Lord, help us to live by grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.